The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Make Life Work, the show that explores people and culture and shares some ideas on how to improve both. Your host is Kathy Ellis, and she will entertain you and share insights on how to make life work. Now, here's Kathy Ellis. Hi, this is Kathy at Make Life Work. I'm talking to you from Northern California. It is Monday the 11th, July 11th at 1 o'clock Pacific Time. I want to give you a little update. I know last week I mentioned I was moving to Italy. Well, this week I'm listing the house, and I'd love for you all to take a look at it. It has its own Facebook page, Home for Sale Dash Ten Acres with View. And if you want other information, you can go to Voice America in my host page and contact me through there. I was told I was allowed to pander a little bit. I'm just so proud of my property. I built it from nothing. And when we talk about being individuals, which is what this show is going to be about, and I listened to conventional wisdom, I would have never bought this place. It was a rock, a moonscape. There was nothing here. People told me I couldn't grow anything here. And today it's an oasis of tons of fruit trees and vegetable gardens and never mind the views and everything else. So let's just move on into the show now. Oh, and then when I sell the place, by the way, I'm going to move to Italy, as I mentioned, and I'm going to continue the radio show on Voice America, but it'll be from Italy. What fun is that? And so what makes us human? And what makes us individuals? Can we, and then can we maintain our individuality when we really are hardwired to belong to a group? What makes us us? Uh, let's start with human being human versus an animal. Well, we are animals, of course. But are we really that different? Are humans really that different from animals? And why does that matter? Why does it matter that we identify our differences from animals? I think that's really for two reasons, and I could be wrong. But one, I believe that there was a need in the religious sectors to create an image that we were more holy than the beasts that walked the earth. Of course, we don't know that. We, we know that that's not true. And then I also think we initially looked at differences so we could, in part, kill animals. If we're, it's sad, but it's true. If, they, if we felt they were our brethren, which so many of us do think that, then we wouldn't be able to kill them. I think in the final conclusion, we're more like animals than we care to believe. We used to think our, ability, our tools, our use of tools to separate us from the animal kingdom is what set us apart. Now we know many animals use tools and are very, very clever. We thought it was language uh, that made us special, but we're discovering incredible things about animals' use of language. Coco, the gorilla, you all must know about Coco. We, his um, people taught him sign language. I actually think she was a she. Sign language and... Coco then taught other primates sign language. 
remarkable. We used to think uh, animal language was mostly random and lacked complexity, but we know that's not true. There's so much interesting research out there on the language of animals. Hey, did you know prairie dogs? Prairie dogs have the most com complex language in the animal kingdom, besides us, of course. Dolphins, I figured, I thought dolphins would be the ones, but prairie dogs, who, fig who knew? Uh, dolphins, though, do have names for each other that are very specific, like my name's Kathy. Fiona's name's Fiona. And dolphins have their own names. So what makes us different? Sure, we all walk upright and we have more dexterity in our hands and through evolution we were able to vocalize sounds that enabled us to create words. And if you're like me, you're still making them up. Oh, and control, fire control. We can control fire, except in California. But I'm not sure these are the things that give us that human spark. What do you think makes, us, makes humans special? What do you think separates humans from the animal kingdom, from animals? We treat food in glorious ways that animals don't. I'm very glad about that. Maybe how we treat food is what separates us from animals. I don't know any animals that cook. There was a point when we thought the difference was because humans have compassion. And we didn't think animals had compassion. But anybody with a dog knows animals do have compassion. And, and did you see the video of the monkey that gave CPR to its friend? I think it was somewhere in Asia. The monkey fell off the um, side into the tracks of a train, um, an electric train, and was electrocuted and passed out. And his buddy came along and gave him CPR. Not the kind we're trained, but tossed him and pushed him and shoved him and threw him up against the wall. And the monkey came back. He, he was revived. This guy saved his life. That's got to be more than, that's got to be compassion. It can't be about survival of the fittest, because if that were the case, the monkey should have been left there, the, the one that fell in and was electrocuted. I think this is about compassion. And we've seen plenty of animal videos and there's lots of research and we have our own experiences uh, where we see animals having compassion. So I don't think that's what separates us. And I wish more humans had compassion. So what is it? What makes us different? Is it that we're spiritual beings? We don't, anim we don't know that animals aren't spiritual, but I am guessing that they're probably not, because thinking about spirit, spirituality is a higher fun brain function. That would happen, you know, in the frontal lobe behind your forehead there, in the executive functioning section. Executive functioning is the ability to selectively attend to, work with, and plan for specific information. So that would be like paying your bills, planning for tomorrow, planning for dinner, chatting with somebody. It's the same, the executive functioning is the same place where we have our moral compass, where we weigh things out, good and bad, um, pros and cons, where we plan our future. That's the executive functioning. So that is, is at least the understanding of spirituality or religion would be processed in that section of the brain, the executive functioning. 
But as far as the deep feelings, the light or visceral experience people have around their spirituality may very well may very well start in the primitive brain. That's at, oh, I'm so sorry. That's at the bottom of our skull, back there somewhere. And then again, there are tons of people who have no spirituality at all. So perhaps that is not an innate trait of humans. So if it is learned, we, can use, we can't use it in the debate of what makes humans different than animals. When it comes to the basics, like using tools, figuring out puzzles, using language, remembering the dead even, having compassion, and giving and receiving love, I don't think we're that different. Elephants remember the dead. They go back like we go to grave sites. They go back to where they lost their loved ones to visit. And they don't bring flowers, but they do take treks back to where their dead were. I think it's these components, the using tools, figuring out puzzles, language, compassion, are needed for a species to evolve. But there's something else, and humans got that something that other animals didn't. Maybe it's the hands and walking upright that really did it. That allowed our brains to evolve and look at all these traits and just keep in, or, and took, we could take all these traits and just keep evolving. I'm not sure it just wasn't the luck of the draw that separates us from, hum, from animals. Some say we separate ourselves from animals by our self-consciousness, that we have modesty where animals do not. But it seems some animals do are aware of themselves, very much aware of themselves. For example, chimps recognize themselves in mirrors. And some other animals do too. My cats don't. But I think some cats recognize themselves. My cats don't. Uh, Then we say humor is strictly, (coughs) excuse me, humor is strictly a human trait. Well, first of all, not everyone has a sense of humor. So I'm not sure that one counts. But plenty of animals are clowns, too, and they play tricks, which is humor. You know animals can't tell jokes, but some people's jokes aren't funny anyway. Another suggestion is that our understanding of time separates from the, us from the animal kingdom. That really cracks me up because, you know, time is a human construct. It didn't exist until we made clock. Well, time existed, but... The way we look at it didn't exist until we made clocks. You know, uh, every species goes by the seasons, and we did at one point, too. So my guess is that animals know time. They just know it by seasons, not by clocks. And for us to expect them to understand clocks, well, it's just silly. So I have a theory. All these things people have looked at to try to determine what separates us from animals. Well, I have a theory. One, I don't think we need to determine what separates us from animals. I think we're probably more alike in all of these ways I mentioned than we are not alike. But this is my theory, my theory about what makes us different from other animals. Now, keep in mind, I've done no research, and this is merely my best guess, but... I think the human spark is our capacity. 
For what? Capacity for what, do you say? For everything. It's our capacity that makes us human. We know lots of animals can use tools, but it is our capacity to create these incredible, complex tools that sets us apart. Tools that take us to Mars, for goodness sakes. Tools that allow doctors to do in utero heart surgery on a neonate. Remarkable. It's that capacity for the use of tools that sets us apart. Same with language. Animals have it, but it's our capacity for language that's allowed us to develop civilization. It's the brain's capacity to invent, create, stack ideas upon one and another, and that sets us apart. I think the human spark is our capacity to evolve, taking all those skills and running with them. It's the capacity of our brain to learn that has set us apart from the animals, the other animals, and makes us the smartest, as well as the dumbest, animals on the planet. And it's that brain that allows us to blindly follow the madding crowd or be self-aware, independent thinkers. On my Facebook page, I've posted a number of really interesting links, oh please do take a look, that talk about what makes us us. Uh, Later on, I'll have them on the webpage, which is still under construction, could be a couple more weeks for that. But do please take a look at the Facebook page, and if you would like it, I'd greatly appreciate that. The um, page is Make Life Work, so if you are on Facebook, just type in Make Life Work, and there should be a picture of me holding my microphone in my little hat. Among some of the uh, links I posted are three episodes of Alan Alda's series, The Human Spark. Fascinating. I highly, highly recommend it. The piece is the piece with the little girl and the green beans is amazing, and I'll be talking about that a little bit later. But the show, it starts uh, from the really the formation of modern-day humans, but, it, but then goes into what makes us special and talks a lot about our need to belong. And, and um, that, I think, to a great degree, is what we need to be looking at, that need to belong. Because when we can get a handle on that, I think we'll be better people. So the truth is we are animals. And when it comes to being animals, and supposedly the smartest and the most compassionate of the kingdom, we could be doing a better job at being fair and playing well with others. We could be doing a lot better job. We're the animals that were lucky enough to be able to make things and build on discoveries and lessons learned. We really should be using that for the good of the world, including the other animals and the planet. Look at the advancements we've made in science, medicine, and materials. There's an endless list of things that have greatly improved our health and our lives. We're advancing the infrastructure of humanity at an incredible rate. Every new lesson is the foundation for the next. The possibilities are outstanding. I think that's what separates humans from animals, that we have this incredible potential to build things to a place where we don't need war, and there's enough food, housing, and jobs and we're gaining health, control of disease, 
advancing education, creativity, and taking care of each other, the animals, and the planet. That's what separates us from other animals. We really need to challenge our need to belong. We see what's going on in the world today, and I think so much of it is really people getting sucked into the matting crowd, to the group think, to the group identity, and people are throwing stones when they wouldn't have normally because they're getting sucked into this group, this need to belong. And it's while it really served us way back in the day when you needed to belong or you'd get eaten by the cyber saber-toothed tiger, excuse me, or you needed to keep, we needed to keep our group small so we didn't share diseases and things like that. We needed to belong to survive and we don't any longer. We need to be able to adjust that now. So now we need to start really focusing on who we are as individuals versus what groups do we belong to? What groups do we like? political party are you a part of? That's not helping us any longer. It's really starting to hurt us. We've made so much progress in the infrastructure for the human tribe, but are we evolving as people? As a whole, as a group, are we increasing our tolerance of fellow humans? Are we working as a group, a team to advance humanity? Just watch the news. And we are clearly struggling with this. Big game hunters, not evolved people. Sorry to offend anyone, but if someone is out there killing big game animals to put some trophy on their wall, who have these animals who have their own families, their own social structure, and can feel sad, loss, and terror, that person isn't evolved. To evolve as a species, we need to do more. We need to do more than cure a disease or two or rebuild skyscrapers, or we're we're purple or yellow or whatever cause we're mindlessly supporting this month, we as individuals have to change if society stands a chance. Worldwide, I'd like to end there right now and have a break if I can, And, and we'll be back in a minute. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com On It's Absolutely All About You, host Eileen Nunez bases her show on the forthcoming book of the same name. If you've been taught to hold your head high and keep your self-esteem in check, where do you go if you aren't yet achieving that goal? Each program is based on a chapter of the book, and comes from Eileen's many years of experience in order to help you find your inner peace. Listen for It's Absolutely All About You, live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? 
Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello again, and this is Kathy at Make Life Work, talking to you from Northern California. Um, let's see, today's show is about what makes us different than animals, what makes humans different than animals, what makes us individuals, and how can we maintain our individuality when we are really hardwired to belong to a group. As I was saying before the break, um, the need to belong to a group, that hardwiring, really served a purpose back in the day a long time ago. We needed to uh, survive. You needed to belong, belong to a group to be able to eat, find shelter, stay away from the big tigers, not spread diseases, but we don't need that anymore. So that hardwiring has gone awry and we need to start working on looking, we need to start looking at that and challenge our need to belong to groups. So we as individual and we, if, if society, if, excuse me, if society stands a chance, if we're going to survive as a species, it's really the individuality that's going to make that happen. We need a world. We, I think we all sort of agree. I hope we all agree. We need a world to reject injustice, to reject violence, to reject class societies to a great degree, that's where the need to belong has gone awry. So you belong to this group, so you have to hate that group. Um, you belong to this class, so you look down on that class. It's not helpful anymore. And to do this, we need to, be, to make this change and minimize our need to belong to groups. Oh, 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 here's another one, and I'm so sorry if I offend anybody on this. Mega churches. These mega churches are bringing in money by the billions, millions, millions and millions of dollars coming from people who can't afford to give their money 
but they're doing it because they want to belong. They want to belong to the church. They want to belong to a social group. They want to belong to, to, to a higher purpose, which we should all do. But, but they, people will give money to the point of they don't have any left. And then, of course, meanwhile, the megachurches are getting richer by the minute. That's a whole other show, though. So we need to become independent thinkers and resist getting sucked into the social and social media pressures to conform to one thing or another, to think like everyone else. We need to become real individuals so we don't get caught up in mob mentality. That means not sharing some meme or something on Facebook that inadvertently adds to the fuel fuel to all this fire, to think things through before liking an some online nonsense. Maybe fact check a couple things before you pass them on. Or better yet, maybe as a group, (laughs) we can give social media a rest from all the anger, accusations, and judgment. Pardon my language, but I grew up, my mother told me growing up, honey, she would say, Honey, everyone shit stinks. When people were being mean to me or girls were bullying me and being mean, my, I would tell my mom and that's what she would tell me. And to a, to a great degree, it is comforting. Everybody's flawed. No one's, you know, better than. We're all flawed and we all need to work on ourselves. So give social media a rest and let leave out the anger and judgment for a while and, and just give it a rest. So we can see what makes us different from the animals. And according to me, it's the capacity we have. According to other people, it's language and use of tools and, and, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, other things. But for me, from, from my perspective, it's our capacity. What makes us unique? So we see what's different, what's different from us in animals, but what makes us different from each other? What makes us individuals and unique? And by individual, I don't mean style. That's not it. In fact, style tends to lump us into groups. It doesn't make us individuals. It's, um, you know, we got the man bun, bun here now in California. Every, every third man has long hair and is putting it in a bun. So re- really, literally, they all start looking alike. And you all know there's a lot of styles that people take on in a group. A, a, you know, cowboys wear cowboy boots, for example, and hats, cowboy hats. You know when you look at a cowboy, a real cowboy, <clears throat> that's a cowboy. But what you don't know does that cowboy ride a horse or a bull? Have those boots ever seen manure? We don't know that because it's really a style now. Hippie is a great style. We don't see it very much anymore. I'm sort of missing it. Um, but you look at somebody, you could, look, you could have seen me in a long dress, probably flowers in my hair, and you could make opinions from that, but you didn't know what my um, beliefs were. You didn't know how I voted. It just makes me look like I belong to a group, which can be very confusing to people. So being an individual is how a person thinks 
Have they come to the conclusions that they do? It's not agreeing with others just to belong. I know, I certainly have done that. I've liked pages on Facebook because my friends liked it and I wanted to be, I wanted to belong. I wanted to be like them or be a part of something. Of course, there's much more to one's individuality than this, but I want to focus on independent thinking. I think that ultimately is really what, what makes us separate and individual from the next person is how we think. It's not how we feel. We all have the same. Um, we all have the same basket of feelings. But thinking feelings are finite. There are only so many human um, feelings, emotions. But thoughts and thinking is infinite. And this is so important because it's going to take the majority of people, and I do mean more than fifty-one percent. UK. More than one, more than 51% is required to be a majority, really. So we need a majority of people to need to become true individuals before society can change. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's the individuals in the world, the people that don't think like everyone else, the ones who are willing to keep going forward when others said stop, that makes the biggest changes in their communities in the world. It's the individuals that stand out that have brought this world to the point, to the place that it is today. And some of that's bad individuals as well. And I will, I will not name names. So let's look at personality types. Because our personality, of course, has everything to do or a lot to do with what makes us individuals. So personality types are traits. They provide the fa foundation for the individual self to develop. And more and more evidence is showing we're born with our personality traits. You know, for a long time, we thought it was the environment. We wanted to blame it, by the way, on mothers. When I was in college, um, things like schizophrenia were blamed on, in the books, in the academic books, blamed on what they called refrigerator mothers. And it's complicated, it's more than just being cold. Whatever it was, it was screwy. Schizophrenia is a bio, it's a genetic, it's a genetic glitch in the brain. It's a chemical problem. You really can't make a schizophrenic. You can make someone crazy if you lock them up and torture them. You can make yourself crazy if you do amphetamines a long time. Um, but a mother really can't, or a parent, we always blame the mom, by the way, um, really can't make a schizophrenic, they can drive you crazy, but they can't make you schizophrenic. <clears throat> so the, the argument, nature versus nurture, it's been going on a long time, and researchers have been looking at this for decades. It's a little bit of both, of course. I think anybody could have guessed that. For a long time, we thought personalities were formed through child rearing only, like I said. But any parent that has extremely different kids, where all else was equal, will attest there are genetics involved in personality. Some of you out there have those kids. You have a couple kids, and they are so incredibly different. But you basically treated them, treated them the same. And it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, plus, twin studies, which are fascinating have given us a lot of uh, answers to questions. 
about personality and whether it's genetic or whether it's nurture or nature. And then there's some evidence that brain structure plays a part in it all. <clears throat> we're going to discover addiction is about brain structure. Eventually, we're going to find the places in the brain that this stuff has lodged, basically. We are starting to know that pedophiles have similar brain structure. Now, as a side note, there's a lot of people that resist this idea that if a pedophile, if we say pedophilia comes from brain structure, that gives them an excuse. I don't know why we launch into that every time. Information is power. Information is what we need. If, if you know that this young person has the brain of a pedophile, then let's make sure they don't turn into one by nurturing that brain structure. Let's give it some other avenues, strengthen other parts of the brain, other parts of the mind and the in compassion and empathy. But that's a side note. Here's one. Serial killers have the same brain structure. Serial killers. Is that interesting? I've linked a interesting TED Talk by a fellow who's been researching serial killers' brains. This is fascinating. This guy's really interesting. And he says, um, it's Jim Fallon. The trailer on the, on the TED Talk says, psychopathic killers are the basis for some must-watch must TV. Personally, I don't watch that crap. But really makes psychopathic killers tick. And why are we fascinated, by the way? with um, serial killers and psychopaths. I don't understand that, but nonetheless. Um, so neuroscientist Jim Fallon in this TED Talk talks about brain scans and the genetic analysis that may uncover, as it says, the rotten wiring in nature and how nurture of murderers and how the nurturing uh, supports the murderer. So one of the things about his research is he did, uh, he took brain scans of his family and himself as a baseline. And it turns out his brain, the researcher's brain himself, his, his own brain is um, that of a serial killer. It has the same brain structure. And when asked, then why isn't he a serial killer? He said, because that brain structure was mitigated by the nurturing, loving, structured family he grew up in. <clears throat> and one thing we can learn from this is before people beat their children, neglect their children, terrorize their children, they might want to know if they have a, the brain of a serial killer first. Because if they do and the family does all these things to them, they're going to push them over the edge. And we have a lot of serial killers in the world, uh, frankly, a lot in America. So there are tests like the Myers-Briggs. To assess personality types, there are many assessments out there. You can Google them. There's a lot of free assessments that you can take. And, um, but the Myers-Briggs, which I have also linked to the Facebook page, has discuss 16 distinct personality types. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a, in it, the instrument sorts for preferences though, not a sort of personality preferences and doesn't measure ability or character. But it's a good test to use because it's been 
assessed over, or it's been used over 40 years and proven to be both valid and reliable. In other words, it measures what it says it's, it does, and that's validity, and produces the same results when given more than once, and that's the reliability. Plus, it's easy to understand and doesn't require a therapist to interpret the results for you. It's real easy to understand. Uh, you can find these tests online. I've, like I said, I posted one on Facebook. And... They are, um, and these tests online now are as good as the ones given in an office. In fact, so many of them are the exact same test. The only difference between doing them online and doing them in a therapist office, for example, is there isn't someone to help you analyze the results or put it in co into context, which is important sometimes. So I'm not saying don't go get your psych eval if, or your kid's psych eval if you need one or someone's recommending one. With a therapist, go ahead and do that. But for fun, you can do this stuff online and you don't need a therapist to help you understand them or examine them. A lot of times, though, when you take your own personality test, there's that aha moment. Oh, now it all makes sense. Oh, now I understand why I react that way. And it's really helpful because insight is wonderful information. The more insight we have, the more individuals we can become, the more individual we are. The Myers-Briggs does get a little complicated, though, in that there's these 16 different combinations of eight different variables. It's not hard to understand, but the combinations um, of the different preferences sometimes seem like fine lines, you know, or they're... they're then really that it's just a fine line between one set and another. But it's a fun, it is a fun test to take. Um, and we really do, we really do analyze the cock out of this stuff. Just like tax attorneys, psychologists and research, researchers can make things more complicated for sure than they need to be. But there are, like I said, a number of fun personality tests online and any insight to what into what makes us ticks as individuals is excellent, really important. We're going to be taking a break here in a second, and then I'll be back after the, after the break. what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. 
You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. If you're in an unhealthy relationship or you want to know what helps you avoid being in an unhealthy relationship, be sure to tune into Tamar's Relationship Transformations. Host, author, and certified relationship coach Tamar Neal uses real scenarios from her experience as a 911 operator and counselor to change the way you see potentially abusive relationships. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello, this is me, Kathy, talking to you from Northern California. I have to tell you, I'm still so nervous about this. And while you may not be hearing it, much of the time I'm sort of giggling over here and I'm trying to hide that. I'm really nervous. But this is the last segment for today's show and I'll be able to breathe at one o'clock. I wanted to go over the Myers-Briggs a little bit and um, talk to you about the um, parts of it. So this is how they have it broken down. Favorite world is how they say it. Do you prefer to focus on the outer world or your own inner world? And this is called extroversion, not extroversion like olive oil, extroversion or introversion. And those get an E or an I. E for extroversion, I for introversion. Then information. Do you prefer to focus on the basic information you take in, or do you prefer to interpret and add meaning? This is called sensing or intuition. Decisions. When making decisions, do you prefer to first look at logic and consistency, or first look at the people and the special circumstances? This is called thinking or feeling. Personally, I do both, probably about the same, so I'm not sure how that would fall, um, come out on the test. I've actually taken this test, but I don't know what my results were. I don't remember. I'll take it again when I'm done since I put it up there for you all to take. And then there's structure. So there's favorite world, information, decisions, and structure in dealing with the outside world. Do you, do you prefer to get things decided Or do you prefer to stay open to new information and options? This is called judging or perceiving. This is really going to be a lot about flexible or inflexible thinking. So someone who's made a decision and that's the decision and they're not going to get any more information. They're not going to think about it anymore and they're not open to any alternative viewpoint. That's pretty rigid thinking. Flexible thinking is I've made my decision. This is what I think, but I can listen to what you have to say. I can take it into account. I can ponder it, and it might influence my decision or make me think a little differently. So when you take the test, you'll get 
a string of initials. Your results could be ISTJ, for example, which would be introversion, sensing, thinking, and judging. Um, so you would be quietly systematic, factual, organized, logical, detailed, conscientious, analytical, responsible, pragmatic, critical, conservative, decisive, stable, concrete, and efficient. And then we could go to another one here, like extroversion, intuition, thinking, and judging. So you would be dr a driving organizer, planner, vision-focused, decisive, initiating, conceptual, strategic, systematic, assertive, critical, logical, organized, and pursue improvement and achievement. And there's all these things in between. So that's the Myers-Briggs. But what we have now in an effort to understand personality, which that research is going to go on forever, by the way, we've broken it down to the five, the big five personality traits, they call them, the field calls them, five traits that make up personality. The cute little acronym they use is OCEAN. That's how you remember it for a test. Acronyms were great for remembering things in school. <clears throat> These traits are likely to be genetic predispositions and people will be born with stronger tendencies in a couple areas over the others, but it's the combination of them all that makes the individual. And then the environment we grow up in shapes us from there. So the big five, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. We all have our ideas of what these mean, but let me tell you what it means for the, for the um, researchers. Openness, how readily an individual will take on new experiences or accept non-conventional ideas, and how attentive he or she is to inner thoughts and feelings. To put it very simply, this is about being open to the world of information and experiences and having flexible thinking and insight. Some of this will mirror the Myers-Briggs of course. <clears throat> so a person who had this from the start, that openness, and, and it was nurtured growing up, today as an adult, they would be able to take responsibility for their actions, make sincere apologies, probably not feel threatened by other people's opinions, and not have to share every last opinion that comes to their mind. And then there's consci conscientiousness. This is about having good attention to detail. It's different than it might, you might think. So it's good attention to detail, being vigilant, organized, and having a desire to do an excellent job at whatever we're doing. And that we know is, that's familiar, conscientiousness. That's what I know it to be, to be conscientious about what you're doing. Um, a, good, a good attention to detail is part of that. People who are high in conscientiousness, probably are not going to be bullies. There's extroversion. This relates to assertiveness, enjoyment of humor, human interactions, or social settings, and risk-taking. Now, the risk-taking is, is about, I think, mostly about emotional or life risks, taking life or emotional risks. I don't think it means jumping out of an airplane. And maybe to some degree it means that, which that's always what I think of when I hear the term risk-taking. 
I actually don't think I'm a risk taker because I don't jump out of airplanes. I'm not going down a black diamond ski hill. I'm not going down any ski hills, <clears throat> but I'm moving to Italy and I just don't see that as a risk. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a little, that one, that's a, one's a little off for me. But this trait will affect how someone connects with friends, people in the workplace, family, and even strangers. And I guess it's, it affects how, what decisions they make in terms of some of their life paths as well. <clears throat> then there's agreeableness. This is about cooperation, kindness, and the consideration of others. Of course, somebody that's high in this, in this area is also not going to be a bully. Uh, they're going to probably be pretty good to work with and hang out with because they're agreeable. But it doesn't mean they're so agreeable that they're just going to agree with anything and not have an opinion or a sense of them, themselves. It's, it's about a cooperation and kindness and consideration. It's about being a kind human, learning to get along and, and working together. This is so important to the survival of the species, yay? Neuroticism is the last one of the five, and to what degree one might have this neuroticism will impact their anxiety and ability to deal with stress and maintain calmness under pressure. So let's say somebody was born with just a little bit neuroticism in their basket there. They, they, it, 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 they don't have a high genetic predisposition for it. They just have an average or a low predisposition for it. But if, you, but if they've experienced a lot of trauma in their life, they're going to get anxiety. And they're, if, depending on the trauma and how that trauma was dealt with and the work they did thereafter will, will affect how well they are able to deal with stress or how calm they can remain under pressure. For all of these personality traits, they really are mitigated by, um, um, by the environment. So I know there's a lot, I've got to move along. There's a lot of complaint about using personality types and pigeonholing someone, giving a diagnosis. First of all, in the US especially, we do, we use diagnoses as another way to create distance and to discriminate. So in that respect, yes, we misuse terms, diagnoses, identifiers, for example, example germaphobe. We misuse those all the times and we do it to set ourselves apart. It's funny, isn't it? But when we can use the information to help understand ourselves so we can adjust and adapt so our lives aren't so darn hard, it's helpful. And if we spend time figuring ourselves out, we don't have time to worry about analyzing every other last person on Facebook or in the home or the grocery store or the gym or salon. It seems everybody today is a psychologist telling everyone else what their problems are and how to fix them. Everyone's a specialist. And understanding traits and diagnoses, and diagnoses, by the way, are nothing more than a cluster of symptoms. We put a lot of weight into that term diagnosis, but that's all it is, is a cluster of symptoms where we can then identify, put a term on that cluster. <clears throat> so helping us understand these things um, helps us understand ourselves and helps us understand why other people are treating us one way or another or behaving in one way or another. 
So we start with the basic five personality traits and add experiences for about the first 10 of years of life and voila, you have a person who is unique from all the others. Experience reinforces pers personality traits, good or bad. Traumatic events shape those personality traits, block them sometimes. Um, they create symptoms that, like anxiety and depression and fear that influence the decisions we make or the directions we go in life. It's really important not to abuse people because it all too often screws us up as adults, screws kids up as adults and adults up. Relationships, of course, influence us, which really are experiences. They shape what we think about ourselves and the world. We're influenced by the morals, values, and principles and styles and interests of the people around us growing up, of, of course. But then as adults, we can step back. We can understand ourselves more. We can develop more insights. So we don't have to be influenced by the group, the family, the crowd. We see the results of all this need to belong in the protests and the campaigns where people are getting worked up into frenzies. And some behave in ways they wouldn't normally have behaved. They get stuck into group think or actions. Very few people are not susceptible to, the pr to that pressure. It's human. So in the sum of all this that makes each of us different in our own ways. So it is, excuse me, the sum of all this that makes each of us different in our ways. And it's the bits and pieces of our personality traits and the influence of the environment that makes us who we are. How do we become our own person? It's just to understand who we are, what drives us, use insight. Uh, the need to belong is strong, but fight it. Come up with your own thinking. We can be our own independent selves and still feel a part of something and have a feeling we belong. We can. It might be a little easier for some of us who never felt, felt we felt it fit in anywhere anyway. But the truth is, the more independent you are, the better able you are to choose the right groups for you. In a way, the more independent we are, the more we can belong. In order for society to change, individuals have to start growing first. Since any culture or society is the product of the group, beliefs, attitudes, thoughts, needs, and interests. If we want peace in the world, we have to be peaceful people in our minds and in our home. Change starts here. Change starts with us. Thank you. And I will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Make Life Work. Please join your host, Kathy Ellis, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show... Try to see your life and world through a new perspective.